Hi, everybody. My guest this week is Lily Weiss. She is a coach for That Naked Mind, and we talked about drinking, actually. We talked about not drinking, which is what she does now compared to her former life when she was a drinker. And she wasn't one of those out-of-control, can't-get-out-of-bed kind of bottle of vodka first thing in the morning drinkers, but it was enough of a habit that she felt like she hadn't, she'd lost all her joy, is what she said. And she was kind of moping around. And we talked about that. I was hearing, although this was not in her intention, that if you drink, you are masking something and you can't have real joy in your life. It's a fake joy. And I disagreed, and Lily was cool with that, and she heard that she didn't intend to say that exactly. My point being, you can still have a drink and have joy. It doesn't rob things from many people are able to do that. Anyway, it was a really interesting conversation. She's got some great data points about, you know, the hormones that kick in and why we drink and this and that. So if you are of a mind, you want to think about not drinking or even doing a dry January or a dry July, um, the company that she learned from has a 30-day program and she talks about that. It'll also be on the show notes. If you're on a page that you're listening to my podcast and you want to leave a review or a comment in the review section, that would be so awesome because it makes a difference in the ratings and I'm trying to get this podcast out to more people. I appreciate you listeners and I appreciate when you share. Be well till next time. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor, maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, my guest is Coach Lily Weiss, and we are going to talk about alcohol-free living. Don't leave the phone in case you're one of those people that feels like they can't live without their wine. I could raise my hand in that category. I know I could live without it, but I care not to live without it. But Lily's going to tell us a little bit about what alcohol is doing to our lives, maybe a little science behind what's doing to our bodies. So, uh, Lily, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. It's been a while since I've talked about booze and abstinence, but it is a thing. I want to talk to you about gray areas, but first, why don't you tell people about your story? So who were you before you became the Naked Mind Coach, which is a group that helps people leave alcohol behind? I was the same so before I was over drinking, I was this adventurous, I'd like to think fun person. One year I rode my bike from the West Coast to the East Coast. That's the kind of stuff that I just thought was fun. I became a raft guide. I taught whitewater canoeing. I also had a career. I was a software developer and loved that as well and took people backpacking in the back country in Alaska. I mean, we'd get dropped off on an airplane, a bunch of girls go out, we'd bring wine here. (laughs) But um, now all those ladies are alcohol free with me, which is really kind of interesting. So what happened was a very slow 
increase in my drinking. And then I got to tell you, I had a great plan. Mm -hmm. This was such a cool plan. I was going through a divorce and I wanted the divorce. I, I, I don't know why I married that guy. That was not the smartest thing I ever did. I was very happy to be divorcing him, but it was going to be uncomfortable. And I had learned in my 20s, in my childhood, I'd experienced some trauma, um, some serious trauma that kids shouldn't have to experience. And so in my middle 20s, I became very dangerously depressed, found a therapist that saved my life and really learned how to live fully. And my thinking was at the time, if I'm going to keep living, I'm going to live on my terms. Hence all the adventure that I was doing yeah. and not choosing to live a nine to five business life, like really taking some risks, quitting my job to go travel for six or nine months of time, come back, get another job. So in this time with my therapist, she told me once, and you could have knocked me over with a feather. She said, not everybody drinks every day. <laughs> I think I probably gasped like, what? Because really? what I was growing up was daddy came home from work and mom made him a scotch and they had a scotch on the rocks. And this is how life was lived. Mm -hmm. And I think she could see the alcohol use disorder in my family long before I could ever see it, being a clever therapist. So in my time working with her over five years, I had pretty much eliminated alcohol. I was training in martial arts. I was riding my bike. I, I you know, was doing all kinds of wonderful, fun things. And alcohol just kind of disappeared. Now, here comes my divorce. I have mad skills when it comes to solving problems with my emotions and navigating life. But I thought, here was the clever plan. I'll take a shortcut. Alcohol will numb the pain a little bit. I'll drink for a year and then I'll just stop. I know you're laughing like, okay, how, how is that going to work? Well, in my mind, it was going to work because I had stopped drinking many times in my life. No problem at all. When I was in college, I studied computer science. It was really hard. So I did not drink during the semesters. And I drank like a rock star in between semesters. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't drink for a long time. And then I was, you know, drinking maybe a glass of wine a month. So I thought... Alcohol's never been a problem with for me. I thought, I believed in rather, the big lie that some people are going to get addicted and others aren't. And the people who get addicted are bad people and immoral people who don't have any discipline. And so I thought, I'm home free. Just have these drinks at night, take the edge off. Imagine my surprise when that didn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that year ended. And I had made the mistake of using alcohol to solve a problem. And once we do that, we really start bumping into some trouble. And I mean, solving a problem like boredom, stress, for me, dealing with some grief. I wasn't grieving the husband, but I was grieving the loss of the dream. I thought that I was a lonely person. And I thought by marrying this guy, I would no longer be lonely. How long were you together? Less than two years. I had a first marriage like that myself. And and can you explain why you did that first marriage? Because I got no words for that. <laughs> well, I thought I was supposed to marry a preppy from Greenwich, Connecticut. And I had gone to school with this guy and we bonded over drinking. We were both in the restaurant industry, bonded over drinking 
dancing, partying, drugs, and yeah, it was silly. What could go wrong? I mean, we were a perfect match. <laughs> Did you at least like him? I liked him. He was not the right person for me. He was a lovely man, truly. Just we were not, once we were clear-headed, right. we were not of the same mind about what life was going to look like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even like this guy. So there you go. Um, and I wasn't even over drinking at the time. <laughs> I've got, I got nothing. Um, nor am I interested in spending the time and money to figure that out. It was just yeah. gone. It was a long okay. time ago. So what happened was nobody's surprised. The middle of this story is I got addicted to alcohol and I went through I think it might have been a 10-year period. It was like the first four years, I thought, oh, I'm over drinking. No big deal. Like, I wasn't over drinking that much. I was a daily drinker. I was what you would call a gray area drinker. So alcohol use disorder, people think there's like an alcoholic, and then there's the rest of us that are okay. And the truth is, it's a spectrum. Mm. And if you go into the DSM-5, which is the Bible for... um psychiatric conditions, alcoholic no longer exists in there. It's alcohol use disorder. And it goes from very mild to probably that's what I was in, in being like now in my early forties to very severe. And that's the top, the, the most severe 10% are physically addicted and will need medical intervention or a tapering process, or it can be life-threatening. And these are the people that we perceived as alcoholics. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that have the DUIs, the lost jobs. They wake up at, I've got a client that wakes up at four in the morning and she starts drinking vodka with her. Yeah. Yeah. No judgment because here's a, like a mind blowing thing. What I learned, one of the first things I learned about alcohol use disorder is our bodies are designed to become addicted. And yeah, so you're like, hmm, how? Uh, okay, Lily, let's back that, yeah, please. that up. <laughs> I can back that up with science. So this cycle that I'm going to explain is the same for alcohol, sugar, pornography, gambling, video games, phones. They all use the same reward system in our brain. And this reward system was put in place when we were back in caves eating berries by the fire. And this was, we used to think it all, it kicks off with dopamine. And we used to believe that dopamine was like the joy molecule, the thing that makes us happy. What it is, in fact, is the more molecule. Mm-hmm. Because what would happen back in the day when we were in the caves, we'd go out, we'd find a berry, we'd pop it in our mouth, we'd get a little dopamine hit, which would tell our bodies, this is good, do this again. Mm -hmm. So now we get dopamine in such huge amounts, our brains get a little out of whack. So same thing, we have a drink, alcohol Mm -hmm. specifically. It hits our brain. We get a giant dopamine hit. This is like, I don't know, 10 times a normal dopamine dopamine size hit. 
So our reward center just goes crazy. That's that 20 minutes of euphoria that you get. And if you pay attention, a little experiment here, pay attention to the next time you have your first drink, you will notice you get that buzz and that buzz lasts about 20 minutes. People are different. Some report 17, some report 27, right? But we're going to say 20. Then your brain says, holy smokes, too much euphoria. We got to tamp this down. And so it starts spitting out the, uh-oh, I don't feel good hormones, like dynorphin, like cortisol, adrenaline. So you get that 20-minute woohoo, and then you get two to three hours of, uh-oh. And so your brain is thinking, and this is all happening in your subconscious. Then your brain is thinking, oh, gosh, I don't feel so good anymore. I know what to do. Dopamine. I'll have another drink. And that is your reward center at work. And this is why I say we are designed to become addicted to things. It was meant to be helpful with berries and hunting, I suppose. You know, you shot your bison and you get the dopamine reward, right? Like, woohoo, I, I succeeded at something. So, this is what's happening in our brains and bodies as we drink. And so we drink the first drink and the first drink orders the second drink. This is why moderation is so hard because you're no longer working with your prefrontal cortex CEO, manager of your brain, your subconscious is taking over and this cycle is happening. So, for this reason, we've learned there's the, you know, mild to gray area drinking, moderate to severe alcohol use disorder. And what was happening for me in the first four years is I would decide, okay, I'm drinking too much. I was maybe drinking a half a bottle of red wine a night. I'm like, okay, that's too much. I know that's not healthy. So I would take a six month break. And I would use willpower doing it. And then when I started to drink again, I would be drinking even more. So the next six years was a real battle of wills for me to say, I need to stop drinking. I can't stop drinking and freaking out. And now I've moved from half a bottle to three quarters of a bottle to I'm finishing a bottle of red every night. And I, now I want more. And I was in this place where I was really scared to try again because every time I tried and failed, it got worse. Mm. I went through the same thing with my weight, like with every diet that I lost five pounds, and then I put seven on mm. until I was 30 pounds heavier. And this, this same tax was happening with the alcohol. So when I... I had really kind of given up. And I was thinking, well, maybe I, if I could just stay here, then I probably won't kill myself. But the problem was, instead of being this fun, adventurous, going out and doing things person, I was sitting in front of my computer watching Netflix in my living room every night, drinking this bottle of wine. Like all the joy had leaked out of my life. Mm. 
And I was stuck with the idea that I need to stop drinking. And I'd think, that's scary. I've failed a million times and my life is going to suck because this might mean I'm going to have to go to meetings for the rest of my life and like live in this. I was already in this shame cycle of saying I wasn't going to drink in the morning, five in the afternoon. There was a drink in my hand anyway. Wake up at three in the morning because that's part of the alcohol. Alcohol wakes us up at three in the morning Mm -hmm. feeling complete shame and disbelief that an otherwise intelligent person can't solve this problem. Wake up in the morning again, like, okay, here we go. Today, I'm going to stop. I did that for six years. And I counted 1,851 times that I did that. Is that brutal? It is when you put the data behind it. Yeah. And that was over six years. And I, I didn't, counted out every day, but I like looked back and thought, okay, six months off here, three months off there. And that's how I came up with that number. And then I ran into Annie Grace's work with this naked mind. And it was just a game changer. I saw this Facebook ad where people were alcohol free and they were having fun. So I was thinking if I quit drinking, I'll never have fun again. And if I keep drinking, what I'm doing isn't fun. Yeah. There was there was no out. Then I didn't realize there was a third option that alcohol was actually squashing my joy. And by eliminating it from my life, I would have fun again. And I got it worked. It absolutely worked. So I did Annie's work and ultimately became one of her coaches and lived happily ever after there was a um i do some group coaching for this naked mind and i do one-on-one coaching and someone wrote in to this naked mind complaining that your coaches are too happy that's got to be fake <laughs> i can't help you with that i'm actually this happy i would say that i do know some people who are now no longer drinking they're doing life just fine enjoying mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. so it is possible and oh. um I know on your website you say it wasn't genes, but I have to say, in defense of genetic testing, there are genes that will make it more e- more easy for people to e- easily become addicted to. They have different variations, right? I just don't want somebody to go to your website and say like, "Oh, at least I don't have the gene for that, so this is going to be easy." Because there are people that are really high on the scale that have like six or eight or ten gene variations in that addiction category it might be harder for them to quit on their own. Now, I'm not saying with coaching, I'm sure it's a whole different ballgame. So why don't you describe a little bit about how you work with people? Like, how do you help somebody who's tried and tried and tried and probably read a book or watched a video or, you know, and like you failed over and over again? What's different about coaching? Well, first of all, I would say you're absolutely right about the genes that... They, they are looking for what these addiction genes are. And I think people were looking for a specific gene. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. We, we don't think it's a specific gene. And just because you have a gene, it may not be turned on. Right. Exactly. So, you know, you could have like um, the BRCA A for breast cancer, but it doesn't mean that that one got turned on. So from my thinking, though, 
And then I've worked with people who are very, very seriously addicted to people who, you know, are, are just at the two glasses a day and want to stop. And it's the same process for all of us. Some of us, it is easier and it becomes easier if you are someone who is in tune with how you feel. Like if you're emotionally shut down, it's a, a bigger, a higher climb. Mm-hmm. than if you're someone who's very emotionally in touch with yourself. So the first thing that really changed for me when there's so much, how to, how to even start that. In my world, there is no such thing as failure. In the mythical world of alcoholism, if you have a drink, you go back to day one. You got to start all over. Right. And you are using nothing but willpower, which is why you have to go to meetings over and over and over again. And the shame, I mean, just standing up in front of a group and saying, hi, I'm Lily and I'm an alcoholic. When I use the I am a phrase, that becomes all of me. Mm-hmm. I want to. Whereas if I say, you know, hey, I'm Lily. Um, I used to have alcohol use disorder. That's a very different statement. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the biggest barriers for people is getting rid of the shame. We think that shame is helping us stop a behavior when in fact it's keeping us stuck. And I find that it's one of the more, this is why I'm saying it. If you're really in touch with yourself emotionally, it's an easier lift because you're going to feel that shame and you're going to recognize it and working with it is easier than someone who doesn't even realize they're in a state of shame. So the the shame has to go and the self-compassion has to come in. And I know there's a lot of people who are going, how can I quit if I don't feel bad about myself? (laughs) I got to shame myself into change. And we know through science, this is not, a bunch of people waving crystals and singing kumbaya. We know um, that positive emotion is what creates lasting change. It's not the number of days. It's not how many repetitions. It's positive emotion. And so if we're shaming ourselves, it makes lasting change that much harder. Mm. So, you know, we want to get rid of the shame We want to understand how alcohol works in our bodies. We want to understand it is not your fault. This is how your body was designed, but it is your responsibility. Absolutely. And the culture that we live in, we really need to shine a light on that because there is a cultural belief that we just can't have that life without alcohol will not be as fun, that you can't celebrate, that you can't grieve. We have alcohol at weddings, funerals, walking the kids around with Halloween, birthday part, kids' birthday parties and mommy wine culture, right? We're, we're having wine for that now. Somehow the alcohol industry has convinced us that alcohol is a needed ingredient for everything and it solves every problem. Are you bored? Drink. Are you unhappy? Drink. Celebrate. You're happy? Drink. Lost a job? Drink. Get a job, drink. And once you start seeing this, you start seeing the absurdity of it all. And we lose 
when, when we rely on alcohol for our dopamine, we lose our body's natural ability to create it. And this is why I'm saying it's literally squashing our joy. We no longer enjoy sunsets without alcohol because our bodies have forgotten how to make this dopamine. And there is an uncomfortable two weeks to a month where you go without alcohol that your body's not making the dopamine and you're not giving it the dopamine. It's not that much fun. That's just, I'll just be honest with you. That's an effort. It doesn't but sound it like does. a big effort though, two to four weeks. It's, I'm sure it's, each day is hard. I'm just saying overall, it's not like four years. Right. And it doesn't necessarily, it's not hard in the sense of it's the hardest thing I ever did because it truly like some hard things can be joyful. Like you were talking in, in I was listening to your show and you are a gardener mm-hmm. and uh, you know, sometimes you want to go out and weed and that could be considered hard, but you find joy in that. Yeah. It's how so, I detach from my thinking, you know? Right. Well, I see, I'm a big gardener too. So that really resonated with me. Like I'm, I'm doing my fall cleanup right now, which is just pulling yeah. out all the, um, for my veggie garden. I'm doing my fall cleanup. That's hard work, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And so that couple of weeks or month of going alcohol free, when you know there's a big prize at the end, doesn't have to be that painful. And the rest of the world, I want to talk a little bit about willpower versus effort. Because mm, willpower is a fighting, like you're fighting yourself, effort. And you got to exert energy all the time for it to work and you will run out. It is a finite resource. Curiosity, on the other hand, and self-compassion are infinite resources. And so if I wake up in three in the morning and say, ah, I am such an idiot. Why did I drink again? Versus 3 a.m. Gosh, that's super interesting. I had a few days of alcohol-free and then yesterday I drank. I wonder why that is. Was I more stressed? What job had I assigned alcohol that I don't have the skills for? Because like I said, if you've used alcohol to do all these things in your life, you lose your skill set. If I use alcohol to numb my emotions, then I lose my skill set for navigating emotions mm-hmm. or it dampens. You mm-hmm. may not lose it all together, but it's not, it's not something you're using as nimbly as if you used that every day. Mm-hmm. And if you are using alcohol as your only source of joy, then you may need some joy skills. And did you hear what I just said there? Joy is a skill. It is not something that some of us get and others don't. Joy can be learned. So a lot of my coaching is teaching people these skills, or reawakening the skills that they had and haven't used in a long time. So willpower, finite effort is a loving, self-compassionate curiosity into figuring out what your beliefs are and resolving. Because what's happening is my subconscious is telling me I can't have fun without alcohol. My conscious mind is saying, wait a minute, I'm seeing other people have fun without it. What's the deal? So we resolve that 
dissonance in our brains. And I got to the point where I simply don't want it. And if I think about, like, I was at the airport recently and it was a disaster. I had come off a couple of weeks. My mom has dementia. She'd broken her leg. You know, I'd been in the hospital with her for a few weeks. I did everything wrong. I showed up on the wrong day. I signed up for the wrong COVID test. You know, it was like the biggest firestorm. I was already exhausted. And I thought, and the thought that came to my mind is, this is why people think they want to drink. And what I was thinking was, I am so grateful. I am not dealing with this with a hangover. Oh, yeah. Or the lesser energy. I didn't realize I was low level hungover all the time. And after about a month of having the alcohol out of my system, my energy level was off the charts. My husband tells me to get in my basket sometimes. <laughs> it's just like I just can't deal. That's funny. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you felt physically different. Is your sleep any different? I sleep like a champion now. Yeah. I think I, I said to a group once, I, I it's a shame that sleeping isn't a sport because I think I could like really, <laughs> I think I could meddle in it. Yeah, sleeping is absolutely disrupted with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happens with alcohol that we don't realize for the people who are using alcohol to relax at the end of a day, when I opened, I described the, um, cycle, the reward cycle. And I said, you get the 20 minute big hit relaxing endorphins. And then you get that two to three hour cortisol dump and dynorphin. You actually, if you, if your stress level was a six when you started drinking, after you have another drink or you have a drink, your stress goes up. And this, it stays in your system for quite a while. And I should know the number off the top of my head and it's escaping me. And if I can't give you a fact, I can't back up data. I'm not going to say it, but it stays with you for more than 24 hours. So when you say your stress goes up, we don't feel the effect. You're talking about the norepinephrine, things in the body, the hormones that are circulating have rise, but not necessarily our stress. Like I'm feeling stressed. We're feeling relaxed. You feel relaxed for that initial 20 minutes. Yeah, I have to I have to debate that. Try it. No, what I drink wine. I know what you're talking (laughs) about. It feels good, but I would not say that it wears off in 20 minutes. If I enjoy a glass of wine, it might take me 20 minutes to drink it. The one said, yeah. So you you finish your glass of wine and that buzz lasts between 20 and 30 minutes. Try it. Just to, you know, so what it does is it lets you know what's actually happening with your body because it alcohol is branded as joy juice. And because we can follow the hormones in the body when we, when people drink, it allows you to understand what's happening. And so for people who have the belief like I did that alcohol is what's creating the fun. What I learned is it's a snake swallowing its tail because you end up more stressed than when you started. You think that's everybody's experience? That is everybody's like, there might be some physiology for a rare few people that is different. 
but there's a lot of good data back there that's going to back me up and say, this is what's happening in your body. You know, Andrew Huberman, who's a super popular podcaster, has a great podcast on alcohol. And he goes into, he talks a little bit about what I said about the stress relief. So Mm -hmm. I call it borrowing joy from a loan shark. Mm -hmm. You get your initial hit of joy and then you pay interest. Mm -hmm. And the people who go alcohol free absolutely report that just anecdotally, the drop in stress level mm-hmm. in their lives. It's absolutely remarkable. So I, I'm just going to say, yeah, for the average human body, this is the cycle that it goes through. Mm-hmm. And we've been taught to believe that that isn't the truth, that it's just joyful. And if you drink too much, you're going to have a little hangover. And that's going to be the only downside to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess my, I have no issue with your coaching and all of the philosophy. I've read that woman's ebook. I think she has an ebook or video series or something. Um, I'm just, I'm having resistance to accepting that everybody who has a drink uses it as a joy mechanism and that their lives would be better if they didn't have that drink. It might make them feel better. They might enjoy, enjoy. I am enjoying a glass of wine with my friends or a drink with my friends. I'm at the beach. Some people can just as easily not have the drink and enjoy their friends, but the next time they might want to drink. Do you see what I'm saying? I just think that not everybody is, and maybe that's where you're talking about the gray area. Not everybody feels under the thumb of the loan shark. Right. Right. So uh, say that point of resistance again, because I want to hear it carefully and answer that carefully. Okay. I, my resistance is around two things. A, a drink is for joy only. And that some people will not be in a joyful state because some people will not be able to have joy without a drink but they could be just as happy with the drink, right? So some people just want to drink one day, they have a drink with their friends or at night watching television. And then that doesn't ruin their lives. The joy is still there when they hug their kids or their grandkids or whatever, right? So I'm having a little hard time with like, everybody's losing their joy because they have a drink. I see what you're saying. Okay. People with alcohol use disorder, people who drink, who are probably daily drinkers or binge drinkers, Mm -hmm that's when you're starting to run into trouble. Okay, I can I can accept that. I thought it was like putting all of us under one big umbrella of no, no that's joy not, anymore if you have a drink. That's not what I intended to say at yeah. all. And I don't judge. I mean, when I when I coach, there's absolutely zero judgment ever. Yeah. So oh, in a lot of programs, you're a bad person if you drink. I call it a data point. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? And I coach moderation. It is harder and very few people end up in that category because they find it just takes more effort. Mm-hmm. And I want to be super clear that joy is not the only reason that people drink. Many people drink because they're in pain. Oh yeah. Or they want yeah. to forget or they want they're, to. They're numbing out. I hear that a lot, right? They've lost a child. They've lost a partner and they don't think they can face it. I hear a lot. A lot of people tell me their story with their aging parents because that's just what I happen to be you know, in the throes of right now, my mother's in end stage dementia. So I tell a lot of stories about that and have managed to, I needed coaching around it because it's sad. 
Yeah, and I need some place to to off gas, so to speak, my mm-hmm. sadness. So no, I am not somebody who's saying, yeah, everybody needs to stop drinking or your life's going to you know, go down the tubes. Absolutely not at all. What I am saying is we are all, it is possible for any one of us to become addicted. And when you become addicted and you're thinking that, and this cycle has started in your life that you're not creating dopamine on your own. And this is someone who's a daily drinker or a binge drinker, Mm -hmm. not somebody who drinks once a month or twice a month, whatever. Those are the people who, when I'm working with them, you you pretty universally see the joy has come out of their life. Mm. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that for listeners because we're talking and people go in and out of a conversation and then they come back and it's like, you have no joy because you had a glass of wine last night. I just wanted to make sure we weren't saying No, that. no, 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 okay. no. That's absolutely not the case. What I am saying, though, is it is interesting to follow how you feel with that glass of wine mm-hmm. and see. And I'd love it if you got back to me just to see <laughs> how did that feel for you? To think about it and think, well, how long did that buzz last? I'll definitely, it, I will consider it this evening. Oh, there you go. There with you the- Yeah. I don't want to squash anybody's joy. And I am never telling anybody how to live their life. If I was a glass house, I would be. (laughs) We could all say the same thing, Lily, I think. (laughs) You're not alone there. So I just want to, to, so what if I'm trying to put the words to this? If somebody is in that zone of like daily drinking, would rather not, wakes up every day and says, today I'm not going to drink, but they do. And I'm highlighting this type of person versus a severe alcoholic uh, or a person with alcohol use disorder that's on the far end. I, that's a different conversation uh, for medical professionals. How do you, because oftentimes it's the same with weight loss, it's the same with so many other things. You and I are both coaches. We've worked with people in all different places in their lives. I often ask, what, why now and why this problem? Like, what is it that you hear or that you help people get to the place where they can ask for help? Because a lot of times, like I said, we've read books, videos, webinars, may have tried a 12-step meeting, not myself, but I'm just saying, how do you help that person cross the bridge to stay with a coaching program for you? Or how do you, even if you met somebody that said, God, I wish I could stop drinking, I drink every day, what would you say to them? I would say to them, the first step is to learn about the substance so that you understand it's not your fault, Mm -hmm. but it is your responsibility. And to learn about what's available out there for you, because the shame-based programs have anywhere between like a 7 and 33% chance of success, depending upon who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of belief that your life's going to be miserable. And I'm just here to say that your life doesn't have to be miserable. So take this first step of just learning about it mm-hmm. and find out you're not alone. You are not the only person who wakes up at three in the morning with shame. That was one of the first things that really struck me when I started my alcohol freedom work was I, you know, I just thought I was the only idiot in the room who couldn't stop this. And it turns out I was fighting my biology and I wasn't armed with the knowledge to win. 
So if you understand what's happening with you physically, and we have come so far in the last 10, 20 years with understanding how lasting change works. Mm-hmm. Like you can have the best mindset in the world about losing weight, but if you don't have a diet that works, you're not getting right. any. Yeah. So if people want to talk to you, I know that you offer a complimentary call. Uh, they can go to your website, which is coachingwithlily.com. Yes? Yes. Coachingwithlily.com. And um, give a shout out to The Naked Mind. Just tell people a little bit about that. Oh, This Naked Mind is such a wonderful organization. The So one-to-one coaching is fantastic, but group coaching is sometimes what people thrive in more. Mm-hmm. It just depends upon your personality. Yeah. So everything I learned, I learned from This Naked Mind. And... That is where my coaching certificate comes from. And they offer a free alcohol experiment, which is if y'all are interested in doing like a dry January, sign up for the free alcohol experiment in dry January. So instead of just having it be a month of glum gus, I'm missing out. Yeah. Ringing out your liver is healthy every once in a while. (laughs) That's good for everybody. If you do the free alcohol experiment during this time, you actually learn what alcohol is doing to your body, why you're thinking the way you're thinking, what our culture is adding to that equation. And so you learn and you do some personal growth and you might find out that you realize I'm not missing out on anything. And you might find piece of cake, 30 days. I did it. Didn't think about alcohol the whole time. I'm good. You might find out. I did it, but oh my God, every day was like, I cannot wait till February 1st. How come there has to, (laughs) couldn't January be a shorter month? I was going to say, couldn't there be 28 days in January? I don't know. Why didn't we, why don't we do dry February? Just 28 days. Um, And you might find that you got to day three, which would have been better than I could do it sometimes. And you just couldn't stop. And it just lets you know where you are. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just information. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a failure. There's no shame. There's no judgment. So I think that's a great way to spend dry January. Yeah. And I would, we talked about a little bit about the holidays are coming up. The alcohol experiment can be done at any time of the year. Yes. That's all I'm saying. So if people find that dry January is a piece of cake for them or it's that holiday month that, that really throws them off track because there's parties and there's stress and there's family stuff. So really, you can go to thesnakedmind.com and sign up for that anytime. Let's make it a June, a July thing. Like It could be any time you want. I I think Forbes magazine said last year they were expecting 35% of Americans to participate in some way in dry January. Yeah, and about 25% of those didn't make it to the end. And like I said, there's a lot of people that make it to the end that are like, but I thought about it every day. And I want my relationship with alcohol to be, I don't ever think about it. Right. I don't want to have that conversation every night. Am I having too much? How much can I have? When can I have it? Is it Mm -hmm. too soon? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for the clock to hit five, six, seven, eight, depending on what what your your schedule is. Absolutely. And then This Naked Mind also offers a wonderful program that I coach in. It's a year-long path. And 
this is really terrific for people who are okay with speaking in groups. Some people would rather die than for you. Maybe one-to-one coaching is the thing. And sometimes people take the path and also get a one-to-one coach. And I work with people, like I said, who have very mild alcohol use disorder to people who are on the very severe end. And I love them all equally. Like your children or your dogs, cats. Yeah, because it's the person who wants to make a change in their life is so remarkable. And I just fall in love with that spirit of, gosh, I've been stuck for so long and I want joy back in my life. Mm -hmm. So I become big fans immediately. Yeah, good. Well, that's the best relationship to have with a coach. Speaking as both a coach and a coachee. Great. If there's that synergy right away, it's likely means there's going to be great transformation, progress, right. um, trust. Well, yeah. Lily, I thank you very much. This has all been very interesting and enlightening. Oh, this has been wonderful. And and I love that, that, that you challenge me because first of all, I'm up for it. And secondly, I think that's so helpful. Well, I made a promise to myself when I hit a hundred episodes, which was about seven or eight episodes ago. I thought, what am I, what can I do to improve what I give people? And I thought about the name of my business, Rebellious Wellness. Maybe I can ask better questions at times rather than just letting the narrative run. How can I bring it back to like, what's really, what did we just hear? Are we sure we heard what we thought we heard? Those kinds of questions. So thank you for acknowledging that. I didn't, uh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I knew you'd be up for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Thank you for your time today. I have really welcome. enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Lily. And everybody, I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest. Be sure to tune in. Hey, everybody. I have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you listen to, please leave a review on your favorite site for listening to podcasts. You can also leave a comment on my website where you'll find the podcast at the podcast tab or under any of the guest podcast episode pages. Thanks. It means a lot to me and I appreciate you. Be well till next time.